Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin Vessalatu vesselamu ala Resulihil Kerim Nebiyina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve ashabihi ecma'in Amma ba'd So continuing with our lessons of Arba'in al-Nawi with the explanation of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad. Let's have a quick recap of our previous lesson. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam a man approaches him and he says do you see that if I prayed my daily prayers, fasted in the month of Ramadan, declared the halal to be halal, declared the haram to be haram, and I don't increase upon that in anything. Will I enter paradise? And the Messenger والسلام, he said, yes. In some reports, the name of this man has been mentioned. Does anybody remember the name of this man? Why is it the case that this man said, if I do these things, will I enter the will I enter paradise? The messenger says yes. And there is no mentioning of a zakah and hajj. The man mentioned praying five times a day. He mentioned fasting in the month of Ramadan. He didn't mention Hajj, he didn't mention Zakah. What potential meaning can this carry? Yahya. So in terms of Hajj, Hajj may not have become uh, may not have been made compulsory at that time. And as far as Zakah is concerned, he may have been from himself. He may have been from the people that are due zakah themselves, due to receive zakah themselves. He may have been from those, for example, a poor person who isn't, uh, who does not fit into the category of those people who can pay a zakah. Tamam. And the other part is that as zakah and performance of al-hajj may have been inclusive or yani, is inclusive of tahlil al-halal wa tahrim al-haram paying the zakah performing hajj it is inclusive of mm, declaring the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram because declaring the halal to be halal as the explainers explanations of this hadith have mentioned declaring the halal to be halal inclusive of that is the wajibat, the mustahabbat, and the mubahat. Inclusive of this statement, making halal, the halal, is the obligations, and therefore it means that I declare the obligation to be an obligation, and thus do it. Likewise, the recommended deeds, and likewise the permit, permitted deeds, the allowed deeds, the allowed actions. 
So therefore, based upon that, Hajj is inclusive of it, and payment of the zakah is inclusive of it. Part number four to Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation. في الحديث ذكر القيام بالواجبات وليس فيه ذكر المستحبات. If you notice in this hadith, the man comes to the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام. He makes mention of salah. He makes mention of fasting in Ramadan, declaring the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram. And he says, "Will I enter paradise if I do this?" And the messenger says, "Yes. If you do this, if you pray your five daily prayers, fast in the month of Ramadan, declare the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram, you'll enter paradise." If you notice in this hadith. The wajibat have been mentioned. The obligations have been mentioned. The mandatory deeds have been mentioned. Those things that you have to do. And if you do not do them, you'll be sinful. If you don't pray, you'll be sinful. If you don't fast in Ramadan, you'll be sinful. So these deeds that have been explicitly mentioned in this hadith are the obligations. If you do them, the messenger confirmed, you'll enter into paradise. The man, however, did not make any mention of the mustahabbat. He didn't make any mention of the voluntary deeds, the supererogatory deeds. He didn't make mention of giving charity. Charity, that is, other than a zakah. He didn't make mention of the nawafil, the Superrogatory prayers. He didn't make mention of performing siyam, fasting, but that fasting that is superrogatory, that is voluntary. Monday and Thursday, ayam al-riyal, the fasting of Dawood salam, where you fast every other day. He didn't make mention of any of these. He didn't make mention of any superrogatory deeds. He just made mention of the wajibat. And the Messenger did confirm that if you do these deeds and you don't do essentially, if you don't do anything extra, if you just do the wajibat, do your five daily prayers, pay your zakah, fast in month of Ramadan, do your oblig, oblig, uh, obligatory deeds, you'll enter into paradise. Even if you don't do any extra deeds, any optional deeds, any voluntary deeds. And this therefore means that the one who does not do any voluntary deeds, optional deeds, extra deeds, he shall enter into paradise. He shall enter into Jannah. This category of people are those that are muqtasid. Those that adopt the middle path. The middle path. Or if you like, the economical path. الله جل وعلا يسأل بعضهم ثم أورثنا الكتاب الذين استفينا من عبادنا فمنهم ظالم لنفسه ومنهم مقتصد ومنهم سابق بالخيرات بإذن الله. In this ayah, Allah makes a mention of a people whom He caused to inherit the book. These people is in reference to believing people. 
people who are Muslim, who inherited the previous scripture. And Allah in this ayah divides those people, those Muslims, those believers, into three categories. There were those people who were wronging themselves, transgressing against themselves. Believers never, uh, believers though, they were believers, they were Muslims. But they were described as those that wronged themselves, transgressed against themselves. And there were those who adopted the moderate path. And there were those who are sabiqun bil khayrati bi'ithnillah. Those who are foreigners in doing good by the belief of Allah, by the permission of Allah. So in this ayah, Allah has categorized those who inherited the book previously. The believers, the Muslims, into three categories. Those that wrong themselves. Who are those that wrong themselves? The Muslims, the believers they will inevitably enter into Al-Jannah. They'll inevitably enter into paradise. But Allah has described them as those that have wronged themselves. Who are these people? Say so. Ah, the ones that have sinned against themselves. Sorry, Salih. Those that have sinned against themselves. Those that have sins. Awzal, sins and acts of disobedience. That is that category. Believers, but they have sinned against themselves. Second category, those that are muqtasid, those that have adopted the economical path. Mm. Who are they? They stick to the obligations. They stick to the obligations. They don't do anything extra. There is no extra nawafid. There is no extra siyam. There is no extra hajj after hajjat al-islam. There is no extra Umrah. There is no extra Sadaqah. They just do what they've been told to do as far as the commandments are concerned. They just fulfill the commandments. They are those who are described as Muqtasid. Those, those that have adopted the middle course. These people will enter into paradise enter into al-jannah dukhulan awwaliyan they'll enter into paradise dukhulan awwaliyan they will enter into paradise first yeah without entering into hellfire dukhulan awwaliyan they'll enter into paradise without having uh, been made to enter into hellfire Everybody from these three categories will enter into paradise, inevitably. But that first category that we mentioned before, those that wrong themselves, they may be punished in their graves. They may be punished on Yom Al-Qiyamah. They may go through some torment, some agony on the bridge over the fire of hell. They may enter into the hellfire. But then inevitably, because they're Muslims, because they're believers, they'll enter into paradise. But then this second category, those that have adopted the balanced path, the moderate course, they shall enter into paradise dukhulan awwaliyan, first entrance, without having entered into hellfire at all. They never did any extra fasts, 
extra, uh, 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 extra deeds. They never did anything of extra deeds, voluntary deeds. They only did the wajibat. But still, they'll enter into paradise to khulan awwaliyan. They'll enter into paradise without having been made to enter into hellfire. And then you have the third category of people. That third category are those who are sabiqun bil khayrat. Those categories, that category of people that are forerunners, racing towards doing goodness. Racing towards doing goodness. And that is which category? Which category of people is that? The first category are those Muslims that sin. Second category, those Muslims that have sins upon them once they leave this world. Second category are those people that have adopted the middle path, meaning they have fulfilled the obligations but no voluntary deeds. Third category are those who run. Uh, uh, they do extra deeds, voluntary deeds, mustahabbat. They are those who adopt the, uh, the course of performing voluntary deeds. Yani, um, uh, there's ihtimal that the one who uh, 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 yani, you saying that the, the first category is it the case that this is exclusively major sins and not minor sins and is it the case that minor sins don't fit into that category is what you're saying is the, is the first category such that those people that don't have major sins but they have minor sins are you saying that uh, you're asking are you, whether this ayah suggests that they are not included in that category? Those that have minor sins, but no major sins. Or more just because But it could be the case that that first category perhaps don't have major, sin, major sins. But they have many, many minor sins. They have an abundance of minor sins because Shaykh Iblis, he wants to deceive us through shirk. Then bid'ah, then major sins, and then if that isn't the case and you can't achieve that, then an accumulation of minor sins. Are you with me? So it could be the case that that first category doesn't have major sins on their neck, but they have an accumulation of many minor sins. Salih, uh, you want to say something? Okay. No doubt. This is in reference to the actions are in relation to the end, the end result, the end state of a person. So a person has made tawbah, inshallah ta'ala, will be forgiven. Tamam. And likewise, other things that expiate the sins, trials within life, and what have you. So this is the third category of people, those people who have. Fulfill the obligations, but in addition to that, they have performed the voluntary deeds, the supererogatory deeds. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he says that وَفِعْلُ الْوَاجِبَاتِ وَتَرْكُ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ سَبَبٌ فِي دُخُولِ الْجَنَّةِ لَكِنَّ الْإِتْيَانَ بِالنَّوَافِلِ مَعَ الْفَرَائِضِ يُكَمَّلُ بِهَا الْفَرَائِضِ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ أَتَمَّهَا When a person realizes that entering into paradise can occur without me 
performing any voluntary deeds. He shouldn't now become easygoing and lax and uh, 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 complacent in relation to doing voluntary deeds. Why? Because it could be the case that those voluntary deeds, those obligatory deeds that you have performed, the wajibat, the salah, for example, there is naqs in there. There's shortcomings in there. There's, there's no doubt going to be deficiency in there. For that reason, when we pray our salah and when we give taslim, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, what do we say? We make istighfar. We seek the forgiveness of Allah. Why? Because of any shortcoming that is in our, our prayer, in our salah. Ramadan, it is sealed with a istighfar. Why? Because of shortcoming that's going to be in, in our fasting. So the point is, is that a person shouldn't become lax and easygoing and complacent as far as the voluntary deeds are concerned. I perform my salah, the wajibat, alhamdulillah, that should be sufficient. No. The voluntary deeds, they'll make up for the naqs, for the deficiency that is found in your man, obliga, uh, obligatory deeds. Yeah, you see, when, if they are saying that we're not, I'm, not, I'm not going to do the, do the nawafil because it's not mandatory upon me, it's not obligatory upon me, then he's not sinful for saying that. He's not sinful for not performing the wajibat, uh, the, uh, the mustahabbat, the nawafil. Are you with me? Yeah? But obviously it's encouraged. Like I remember some of the mashayikh, they would say, what's wrong with you lot? You're not praying your nawafil. What's wrong? Some of the scholars, I remember them saying, what's wrong? Why are you not, not paying your nawafil? Why are you not praying your nawafil? You're tullab al-ilm, you're students of knowledge and what have you. You should be praying your nawafil and what have you. So it's obviously it's something that is highly encouraged. To such an extent, Imam Ahmad, he said that the one who doesn't pray his salatul witr, he's an evil man. Are you with me? The one that abandons praying salatul witr, he's an evil man. Because that there is an indication of how his relationship with Allah is like in the rest of the acts of worship. How his relationship with Allah is like generally, that he can't even pray one raka'ah. Okay. But if the brother, if somebody is saying that, Akhi, I'm just going to pray my, uh, my fard, I'm not going to pray my nawafil because it's not wajib, yani, you can't force him. Essentially. He's not being sinful. He's not, you can't say that he's a sin, sinful person for neglecting the nawafil. But no doubt you should encourage him. We should encourage each other. <coughs> For the point is, is that the, oblig uh, the, obli the, obli the mandatory deeds, they're going to have some naqs within them. They're going to have some deficiency in them. And therefore, a person should perform the nawafil because they will be like a, like a, uh, a, um, like a jabar, like a, a bandage, or like a, They'll make up, essentially. They'll make up for the deficiency that is found in his wajibat, in the performance of his wajibat. Tamam. Part number five. Mimma yustafadu min al-hadith. Number one. The benefits of this hadith. Number one. <coughs> the keenness of the companions in wanting to know those actions that shall enter them into paradise. Look at how keen the companions were in wanting to know what actions that shall enter them into paradise. Number two, 
actions are a cause, a means of entrance into paradise. Actions are a cause, a means, a suburb, a means of entrance into paradise. Number three, in this hadith, the importance of the five daily prayers has been highlighted. Explicit mention of the five daily of the five daily prayers was mentioned here, and that's also been mentioned in the other in another hadith that the salah is the uh, of Islam, the pillar of Islam. Number four. In this hadith, the importance of fasting in Ramadan has been highlighted. Number four. In this hadith, the importance of fasting in the month of Ramadan has been highlighted. Number five. A Muslim makes tahleel of the halal, meaning a Muslim declares the halal to be halal by believing it to be halal. By believing in its permissibility. By believing in the obligations to be obligatory. By believing in the mustahabbat to be mustahab. Yani the voluntary deeds to be voluntary. And he abstains from the haram while believing in it to be haram. He abstains from the haram while believing it to be haram. One important point to mention here is the importance of tahleel al-halal tahrim al-haram the importance of declaring something that is halal to be halal something haram to be haram something wajib to be wajib something mustahab to be mustahab and if you don't do so and it could, it could be very dangerous the consequences as far as your islam is concerned could be very very uh, horrific in the afterlife because tahleel al-halal, making something, declaring something halal to be halal is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can only say that this is halal because Allah has declared it to be halal. This is haram because Allah has declared it to be haram. So if it is the case that you declare something to be halal, and it is not halal, but you've declared it to be halal, then this is kufr. This is an act of disbelief. It doesn't mean that you are now a disbeliever, because perhaps you did not know. And ignorance is a barrier, barrier from a person becoming a disbeliever. So now one example we'll give to clarify this, to make it clear. A person declares, let's start again, alcohol is haram. Alcohol, alcohol khamar, drinking of khamar is haram. Drinking of the intoxicant is haram. If a person now comes along and he says, drinking alcohol, drinking khamar, intoxicant, is halal, that's kufr now. That's disbelief. The one who drinks alcohol, drinks khamar, but says, I'm drinking it, but I don't believe it to be halal. I actually believe it is haram, but it's a sin. It's a weakness of mine. I'm drinking alcohol. It's a weakness of mine. 
that person has not committed kufr. He's not committed any disbelief. Even if he continues day in and day out drinking khamar, he's still not committed any type of kufr at all. He's not committed any type of disbelief that rejects a person outside of Islam at all. Even if it's the case that you've gone up to him and said, Akhi, Allah has prohibited the drinking of alcohol. These are the ayat in the book of Allah. These are the ahadith. And he's there right in front of you, drinking alcohol, drinking khamar. He's still Muslim. He hasn't committed disbelief at all. Even if he does that day in and day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Very important for us to know this. For us to recognize this because there are people who associate themselves with knowledge, associate themselves with sunnah, associate themselves with hadith, study of hadith, ilm al-hadith. And those people have ended up committing blunders as far as this matter is concerned. We'll speak about it in a minute, in a minute after the adhan. So as we were saying, that committing a sin, a major sin, does not eject a person outside of the fold of Islam. When we talk about tahleel al-halal, declaring the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram, this is in reference to believing it to be haram, believing the halal to be halal. But as far as a person committing an act of haram, as long as he doesn't believe that this drinking of khamar is actually allowed in Islam, as long as he doesn't believe that engaging in immoral acts, lewd acts, uh, is, uh, is allowed. As long as he doesn't believe that abandoning the salah, it is okay. As long as he doesn't believe that, he is a Muslim. Because you have some people that ascribe themselves and affiliate themselves with knowledge, affiliate themselves with hadith, affiliate themselves with... Uh, and they they will uh, uh, speak about how they have benefited from, for example, Sheikh Muhammad Nasr al-Din al-Albani. Yet they'll say, like this one from Egypt, he says that I have no issue in saying, and I believe in my heart, that the one who commits a kabira, a major sin, and he is musir, he is musir, he is continuous and persistent upon the perpetration of that major sin, that that person can't be a Muslim. This is what this one deviated person has said. From Egypt, we have had so many great ulama, great scholars, past and present. And then we have one of these individuals here who ascribes himself to hadith, ilm al-hadith, and how he's benefited from Shaykh al-Albani, but Shaykh al-Albani is free from him. Shaykh al-Albani was not a person of takfir. But this person here, he's gone and said that the one who is persistent in committing major sin, he's kafir. If he commits a major sin, on the onset, on the, in the initiation of the commission or committing of that major sin, he's still a Muslim. But if he continues and he continues, then this person said that he is no longer Muslim. That 
A fasiq is no longer Muslim, he's kafir. So meaning, if you drink khamar according to this person, not according to Ahl Sunnah, according to this deviated person, according to his manhaj, his aqeedah, his faham al-khati' that if you drink khamar and you continue drinking khamar after you've been advised that it's a major sin according to this deviant you are no longer a Muslim if you deal in riba, in interest, in usury and you continue in doing so according to this deviant from Egypt you're no longer Muslim and so on and so forth very very important for us to understand tahleel al-halal or tahreem al-haram means believing the halal to be halal believing the wajibat to be wajib and the muharramat to be muharram even if it is the case that there's going to be naqs deficiency from your part as far as committing certain major sins might be concerned doesn't eject you doesn't eject you outside of the fold of islam tamam and part, uh, point number six bayan butlan shaykh abdul muhsin abad he says bayan butlan qawl man za'ma min sufiya أن الإنسان لا يعبد الله رغبة في الجنة وخوفا من النار وقد قال عن خليله وجعلني من ورثة جنة النعيم شيخ عبد المحسن العباد الشيخ one of the مشايخ of مدينة هي he says that this hadith here this hadith here where the man says that if I do these deeds will I enter paradise and the messenger said yes this hadith here it falsifies I believe that some of the Sufiya, the mystics, the Sufis have, you find some of the groups of Sufiya, they say that we only worship Allah out of love of Allah, which is partially true. You are meant to worship Allah out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has blessed you with a hand, He's blessed you with eyes, He's blessed you with children, He's blessed you with oxygen. So you become overwhelmed with love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you do not worship Allah only out of love. But you balance it with what? Fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fear of His punishment, fear of hellfire, and, and hope. Hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hope in paradise, hope in the, in the meeting of Allah, meeting with Allah in the afterlife, hope in His mercy. You balance your ibadah between this, hoping in paradise and fearing the fire of hell. The Sufiya, they say, we don't worship Allah out of hope, we don't worship Allah out of fear, just out of love. Who else says this? Christians, they say the same thing. It is as though they have taken the statements from them. Christians say the same thing. Why do you Muslims worship the God out of, out of fear? Fear of hellfire. What's this hope in paradise? Isn't it enough for you to worship the Almighty out of love? Isn't loving the God enough? So this is a deviated belief. And this hadith refutes it. Because a man said, if I... Do such and such an action, will I enter paradise? Meaning, actions will get me into paradise. Actions are a cause of me entering into paradise. I hope to get into paradise by way of me performing these actions by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it was the case that there was meant to be no fear of the fire of hell, 
Then why did Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam say, وَجَعَلْنِي مِنْ وَرَثَةِ جَنَّةِ النَّعِيمِ Make me, Ibrahim alayhi salam says, Make me, O Allah, from the inheritors of the bliss of paradise, the bliss of al-jannah. Why did Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam say this? If he had no hope in paradise, if he didn't worship Allah out of hope, if he only worshipped Allah out of love, he would never have made this statement. But because he hoped in Allah, hoped in the mercy of Allah, hoped in al-jannah, hoped in paradise, because of that he made this statement. Because of that he made this supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make him from the inheritors of paradise. So inshallah ta'ala, how long was this lesson for? 35 minutes? 40 minutes? Huh? Verse 34. Khalas, what we'll do is we'll um, suffice with that. I was contemplating whether or not we should, because I thought uh, Maghrib is going to be slightly earlier. I was contemplating whether we should do 15, 20 minutes after this, but we'll suffice with this. Sorry? Carry on. Khalas, what... Enough, huh? I'm looking at brothers that have travelled from Manchester and they've travelled, you know, how long? Is that? Mm. We'll take that yani as uh, it's okay. So, uh, so uh, what we'll do is yani uh, okay in the sense of we'll, we'll continue next week, inshallah ta'ala. Okay? We'll continue next week, inshallah ta'ala. Wallahu ta'ala alam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad alhamdulillah rabbil alameen.